This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. I always like to say when you care, you take care. It's it's a social responsibility. So not only are you only having a good time, but you're raising kids who are aware of the world around them. You're raising accountable children. And that's a, that's a big deal. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. And today's show is completely in line with our way of thinking here at Parent Footprint. Today's show is Create Your Legacy While You Are Living It with our special guest, Mary Alice Monroe. Mary Alice is the New York Times bestselling author of 27 books, including the Beach House series, The Beach House, Swimming Lessons, Beach House Memories, Beach House for Rent, Beach House Reunion, On Ocean Boulevard, and now her latest, The Summer of Lost and Found. More than 7.5 million copies of her books have been published worldwide, and she's earned numerous accolades and awards, too many to name right now. She is the co-creator and co-host of the weekly web show and podcast, Friends and Fiction, featuring the five best-selling authors that you know, Mary Kay Andrews, Christy Woodson Harvey, Kristen Harmel, and Patty Callahan Henry, with endless stories, special guests, and a way to connect readers and writers. Mary Alice is captivated by the beauty and fragility of the wild habitat around her and is an active conservationist. She's especially proud to be a 20-year-plus state-certified volunteer with the Island Turtle Team, the group that first sparked her love for loggerhead sea turtles and is the inspiration of her Beach House series. I have a few more things to say, everyone. Hold on. She also has two children's books. And now she has also, she's been very productive uh, during this time, her first middle grade book called The Islanders, which was also released this summer in addition to her latest novel, The Summer of Lost and Found. Mary Alice, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. And I cut your I bio tell you, way my down, was, way down. Yeah. I, well, I'll tell you, all that is sounds really impressive, but really what gives me my chops today is my father was a pediatrician and my husband mm. is a child psychiatrist. So between those two, I come fully fully ready for today's conversation. You are fully prepared in life um, and experience. <laughs> and... Um, you know what? Okay, so I have I have all these different directions I want to I want to go with you today. So I'm going to let's choose to start with um, 
I'm always interested how people came to be sort of what they are, what their life's passion and work is. And I know you have several passions. So I was going to start with writing. Mm-hmm. How did you come to be a writer? And when did you know you were one? This is a question I'm asked a lot. Most writers are. And uh, there's two camps. One are people who say, I came up, it's something I wanted to do, but I didn't start until late in life. And there are those of us who I fall in this category who always told stories. I'm one of 10 children. As I said, my Uh. father's a pediatrician. He had his own practice. We heard all the jokes. But one of the things, uh, being one of the eldest of 10 children, and I'm of a certain age, so we didn't have internet and a whole lot. We had TV, but not a lot of it. I was responsible to help put the mm-hmm. kids to bed at nap time. And as an elder daughter, uh. you you were on board. So I was always making up stories to help my brothers and sisters go to sleep. We made shows. We were a creative bunch, a lot of artists, a lot of musicians, a lot of I'm a writer. And we put on great performances. So storytelling, world building was part of our our growing up. So it was no surprise that that when my third grade teacher actually, and this is the power of being a mentor, I remember her name, Mrs. Mm -hmm. Crawford, the only teacher I remember whose name. Um, She asked me, Mary Alice, did you ever think you wanted to be a writer when you grew up? And I remember being so surprised that that's a job. You mean I can do that? For a living. I was so young. I, mm-hmm. She named it. Mm-hmm. And by naming it, I knew for the rest of mm-hmm. my life what I wanted to be when I was, I wanted to be a writer. So that was something I knew and felt comfortable with. And I wrote all my life. I mean, I started writing my first book at eight. and But I wasn't published until many years later. And that's a whole nother story. But once mm. I published, I just, I just took off. You knew early and you were, as you say, mentored early with someone who showed you, you know, an opportunity, a thing, a thing that you love that could actually be a thing, right? To name it. You know, Dan, I think the point I want to make here is that the mentor doesn't have to be a parent. It can be. My father, who I Mm -hmm. adored, is a very wonderful man, but he actually called me to the mat. He thought I'd plagiarized. He basically said, did you make this story up with doubt? And it shriveled my Mm -hmm. confidence because he didn't believe I wrote the Mm -hmm. book. So from that point on, I had become shy. So it wasn't, he was a concert level pianist. There was always art in the house. And we were expected to do something, but it was that one teacher, non-family member, who took the time to step out and, and, and take me aside. So it can be a teacher, it can be an aunt, it could be a friend. A mentor can come in many different forms. And I'm at a point in my life now, many years later, where I one of the greatest joys of my life is mentoring young writers today. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm, I am aware mm-hmm. of what goes around comes um, around. Yeah. And you're so right about the people who influence us. And this is why, you know, the old cliche, it takes a village. I mean, it really, it really does. And it does. if we think about who our village entails and all the opportunities um, for impact, uh, for, for feedback, for and guidance, um, for trust and guidance. You know, right? even like I, I was watching, I have six grandchildren and, and I was watching my one granddaughter who unfortunately spends way too much time online. 
and she sees the dancing and I see her want to dance and she's making it, she's trying to imitate the dancing. And I don't know if my, you know, as the young mother, my, my daughter isn't recognizing this need in her, but as a grandparent, I see things from a different vantage point and I can take the daughter aside and say, she needs dance lessons. She This is something she enjoys. It's physical. It's her expression. So it can be a grandparent. I mean, when you're in the thick of parenting, when you're in the thick, mm -hmm. it's just so much. So a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle can have it great is. impact. Mm -hmm. um, this leads to one of the things I was wondering about as um, reading about you and your uh, particularly your later, um, some of your later pieces about your legacy, which we'll get into and how you're thinking about your legacy. Um, how would you characterize the difference you as mom versus you as grandma and that, you know, <laughs> how that change has occurred over time? Oh, wow. I, I don't think I'm any different than most, so many mothers. I let me, let me just start by saying what my mother told me when I was in the thick of it and I had three young children and I was working as a teacher, a professor, and writing a novel on the side and it can always have a million things going on. And my mother said, slow down, Mary Alice. These are the best years of your life. <laughs> And my children were three, you know, ten, uh, three to ten. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, if I could just get a good night's sleep, it's got to get better than this. This can't be the best years of yeah, my life. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Of course, now I realize how true <laughs> she was. It was absolutely spot on. And I'm repeating those words to my daughter. Yeah. When I was a young mother, mm -hmm. I had a husband who was in research and a doctor at the NIH and was gone all the time. So it would really, I was one of those mothers where just about everything fell to her in parenting. Although we mm -hmm. had a great conversation about our goals, I was the implementer. And right. the children right. all, I, I feel good that I worked at home. So I did spend time and I played fair. I made, was very strict about turning off my computer when the kids came home from school so that I could be their mom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there was always a sense of what I was working on, moving for the future, always something we had to attain in the years to come, either right. the next house right. or the next town right. or the next book. It was always future. And so I guess that you could call me somewhat driven. And my children, mm -hmm. you know, probably are somewhat driven as a result. But I think what I learned over time is to slow to to listen to my mother. That there is no amount of mm -hmm. business success that can equal to the joy. And you get this is called wisdom. This doesn't come when you're young. I was going to just say it's older. Is, yeah, it's a retrospective wisdom. Isn't that when, the irony? It is it's a retrospective. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, why didn't I listen back then? I wish I could go over and, and play one more game with my children. So I become a better grandparent. I completely relate to that. I've often said, um, I call it this irony that in the years that one is uh, pushing forward um, on one's career, 
that you know that achievement focus that that um getting um that's the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, putting in the time to to really get that career, that stability, and to grow, and to it's often not always, but it's often the same time period when our kids are young, yes, and need the most hands on, and it can be so distracting. And I just share your experience, and now now I can't believe I am old enough to tell young parents the exact same thing that uh, you know that we're talking I'm, about right now. I yeah. know, but you know what I have to say. In all fairness, I don't feel blame. Mm -hmm. I think this is what young people do. They have, my gosh, they have more energy than I do anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I could do anything when I was 40. No, not quite as much, but I, I can understand that is, that's career building. Men, women both mm -hmm. feel it. And it's the time in their mm -hmm. life when that has to happen. And I see, yeah. and I worry today most about how we deal with the time constraints, the lack mm -hmm. of one-on-one, mm -hmm. -on -one, the heavy reliance on screen time. The um, I know right. my children, for example, are always running around driving their kids to some practice. So as difficult as that is, at least it's not screen time and they're talking in the car, I hope. But I just see that, mm -hmm. that less and less personal interfamily moments are available to them. And I remember my husband all throughout all his research, and he did some major studies for child research. And these are the two things that he always said to us and his patients. And that was number one, have dinner together, have a family meal together where you right. um, sit and mm -hmm. you talk, and when they're young, you start easy. What was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? Because if you don't ask that, they're going to say, fine, good, you know, something like that. But to engage mm -hmm. yeah, and listen exactly. to their answers. And some people call it, it's a game of roses and thorns. What was your rose? What was your thorn? But as the children get older, they feel comfortable sharing opinions and ideas, and you learn as a family not to be overbearing in conversation. You have to instruct your children how to converse at the dinner table and to share. These days, you also have to collect mm -hmm. phones. <laughs> to get, otherwise, they yes. will bring the screens kids will bring phones. Off. Yes, screens off during the mealtime. Yes. If you have to collect your phone, yes. that's fine. Yeah. And the other thing, number two, is he always said, go outdoors with your children and play. There's, we've always felt both of us very strong about getting outdoors. And I have to say, um, the best thing about raising my children that I did, and it was by default, my husband's family had a huge farm in Vermont while we lived in D.C. And I, he couldn't come because he was busy being career building, right? But mm -hmm. I took the children at this time and yeah. we drove the nine hours in a big old happy bus van, you know, we all had them. And I went to this farm on top of a mountain and there was no TV. We had no internet back then. And the children at first would all, when they were young, would be bored and there's nothing to do. And I said, well, go out and find something to do. That's old school parenting. You know, go out and do something. Just get right. out of the house and find right. something. That's what my mom and dad told me. What I witnessed are two things. One is that the kids 
that we have it in our DNA to explore. It's there. And when they're left to their own devices, these kids start exploring and hunting and what's all what's out there. And eventually find out that you're calling them in to come feed them. But they spent days outdoors. Right. And they had they you know had their names, Indian names, and they learned the names of the plants. And that's where I stepped in and I taught them the names of the plants. We had this big charts. If they heard a bird, we had to try and find it. We didn't have photographs, we didn't have cell phones. So we drew them in journals and we drew them on the walls and we learned the names of what surrounded us. And by doing that, not only were the children learning, but I was learning. And that's what made it fun mm-hmm. because most mm-hmm. of us don't really know all the yeah. names of all the birds and plants and trees that surround us. So no, as a don't. teacher, you have fun. And this, if you ask my children who are yeah. now in their 30s, what's their favorite memory from childhood? Two of one, they always go back to Vermont. So that's how they grew up every summer. I, be- I believe up in that. the mountains. Yeah. Well, and you know, you said it's this is back to the basics, and it still holds true for everyone listening. We know that um, our times are often different than, quote, back then, but it still holds true regardless of how busy you are. Family dinners, the research still shows, um, bring family health and wellness and adjustment, and nature is healing and getting away from, sc- you know, there weren't screens, but now, uh, and I'm grateful that uh, screens were only coming into the fore when our kids were a little bit older. Um, mm-hmm. So really a lot of compassion and empathy for parents whose kids, I mean, you know, the kids who don't know life without screens. Um, but it really is about the basics. And, you know, what do you say to the people who, Yes, but our life is so busy. I don't have a lot of space. You know, um, I don't have a yard. I don't have a cabin. I don't have the mountains. You know, how do I do the basics? What do you say to those people? Yeah, no, it's a very real concern. And I, which is why I wrote The Islanders. And I'll talk about that in a minute. I mean, I had a mission when I wrote that book. Mm-hmm. I I understand that limiting screen time and getting your kids outdoors is a challenge. We, but it never before has it been more important, especially as a result of COVID, where so many of the kids were going to school via screens. We had to, it's a real concern today mm-hmm. for our children's sake to limit screen time, to get them away. And I don't know what's happening right now mm-hmm. as all the parents are going back, uh, bringing their children back to school and the threat of COVID is now resurfacing. What's that going to mean? So what this tells me, and, and I looked at the American Pediatric Association too, but they've changed their advice. And I think it's wise for them not to be dictatorial, but to have compassion for the situation of so many working parents who are fr- who don't know what they're going to do if the schools are canceled again. And I just say it's a time for parents to discuss what their goals are for their children and what they want for their children, to educate, parents educate themselves on what are some of the deleterious effects of too much screen time. I mean, because we don't have a lot of, my husband will come out and say, well, you know, there's not a lot of hard research. Yes, but there's enough to know right now and it's ongoing that (laughs) um, we are witnessing children with shorter attention spans less interest in reading which then is low promotes lower Mm -hmm. grades Um, health-wise children are getting obese 
soft. They're not getting outdoors the more time they spend inside. We know there are sleep troubles for kids with a lot of screen time, as for adults. So you put all this together and you realize it's worth the effort to, as a, for a mother and a father to come together and say, how can we make this work best for our family? I, I, I don't think anyone can dictate what a family does. I think a goal would try to be at least one hour a day to somehow get their kids away from screen mm-hmm. time, either at outdoors as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't have to have a big backyard. If you're in the city, yeah. there are parks. You can once a week, once a week, choose a day to go out with your kids to a park or to go hiking. Mm-hmm. What the, the key here is parents have to be involved too. It's a commitment. You can, you Parents have to remember they're right. modeling behavior for their kids, right? You can't look at your phone and say, turn off Absol- your phone. Absolutely. So I think exactly. it's compassion. Which we do all the time. Right. Know. But it's. I think we have to have a compassionate look at their situation. I appreciate you saying that. And I, and I um, also like the fact that there's... Um, a lot of the main um, organizations are going against this prescriptive only X amount of hours a day because we really don't know. And there are all of these different life situations, even before COVID, the pandemic, there were like people had different life situations. Now that, of course, takes it to a whole new level. Um, What I want to highlight about what you said, which is so consistent with one of the premises of the show is the idea of being aware and being thoughtful and mindful. And so what you said there is, you know, parents getting together and asking what they want for their kids. And it sounds so obvious, but it's often a conversation in busy lives. You know, as as parents, we just kind of like, oh, we're parented this way. And then I'm just going to parent whatever comes out, which is based on whatever I had. And a lot of times we don't think about it. We're too busy. Mm -hmm. We're just not thinking it needs to have a plan, but it is so, so critical. Dan, you named it a plan. Now, to talk about it is one thing. In writing, we always say, they, what makes a, a character a hero? Action. So you have to be heroic in your own family. You sit down and you create a plan, and that plan will include um, simple things like, okay, how many? what's your time limit for screen? How are you going to control mm-hmm. screen? Get your kids involved mm-hmm. How? because you don't want the children to feel it's a punishment. If you make the kids feel like taking right. away the screen is a punishment, they'll hate you for it. You want them to come on board and to model who's going to take the children hiking on Saturday, who's going to go play sports with them, who is going to go out in the backyard and name the bug, how many bugs they can find. You know, it's getting them to engage with your children for a specific amount of time to get on board. I have to say to everyone listening, my going out in all those years in Vermont in the summer, and we went on a hike and we brought back the wildflowers that we didn't know the names of, or we looked at the leaves of the trees or we found them. I had a blast learning because I always like to say, when you care, you take care. It's it's a social responsibility. So not only are you only having a good time, but you're raising kids who are aware of the world around them. You're raising accountable children. Yes. And that's a that's a mm-hmm. big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a huge deal. And I think in addition to 
modeling and showing and planning and doing um, acting, as you uh, point out. I also think we need to be talking to our kids why we are doing things, why yes. we are going outside, why it's important to go outside, why we're trying to be mindful and limit our screen time, as opposed just to because I said so. They right. don't learn from that. And it's often not, none of us like to be told what to do. And I think sometimes um, the being respectful to our kids gets morphed into well, you're not showing them who's boss. They can't always have their way. They need to know, you know, they need to know that the world is not just made up for them. And I think we lose like, no, no, no there could be lots of converse, respectful conversations, even though yeah. they're little people that don't have the same, I guess, authority that we do when we get older. Well, it's always a balance, isn't it? I find that with, with children, when my grandchildren visit and they want way too much screen time, I, I have to have some tough love. I mean, there are moments when I say, uh-uh, hand in that phone, we're having dinner now. It's just not allowed. Sorry, it's just not allowed at the table. But mm -hmm. I also am the fun grandma, <laughs> you know? Um, I think mm -hmm. the key is doing it yourself to getting to engaging. Because once you engage with your kid, it, it may be a rough start. Your kids will say they're bored. They will say this is silly and stupid and they don't want to do it. But keep at it. Keep at it. Send a spark. Once you hit the spark, I can't, I promise you, it's so much fun. And that's the key. It's the fun factor. I, that's why I wrote The mm -hmm. Islander. I'm going to go back mm -hmm. to this because I got to tell you, that is the mission. I yep. wanted yeah. kids today mm -hmm. to experience and to understand the fun of going wild like my children did in Vermont. Like you just asked me, what the, you, not all kids have an opportunity to go to a farm in Vermont, right? But I created mm -hmm. a story of three kids, and there's an actual island called Duvis Island off Isle of Palms where I live, so it's South Carolina, accessible only by boat. I had to create a remote spot, and I brought these three kids onto this island who would not ordinarily have been friends. For the, you know, They just landed there. There was no one else. And one was an uh, army brat whose father was sick, uh, injured in Afghanistan. The other is a little girl, know-it-all, who lives there. And then the third is an African-American boy from Atlanta who's smart, wealthy. But all these kids don't know what being in the wild's all about. There's no, There are no cars, no stores, no internet. I, I mean, it's perfect. And the kids think it's going to be the worst mm -hmm. summer ever. They're so bored. What I wanted to show in the story and is what I did myself. I showed how it's fun. They go exploring. Mm -hmm. They see alligators and birds and they learn treasure hunts. And it's the imagination of kids. Once they tap into it, it's, they're addicted to it. I saw that in my kids. I see it with the kids <laughs> I bring to my wild places. When they tap into it, they want more. And you, as a grown-up, yes. as a parent, just have to guide them to find that happy place. It doesn't have to be a, a remote mm -hmm. island or a farm. It could be your own backyard. It really can. Or your favorite park in the mm -hmm. city. Or once a year, go someplace mm -hmm. special that's wild and be, you know, go with them. Yes. Again, parents come together and plan. This is our goal. How can we achieve it within our means, within where we live, 
how can we achieve it and have fun doing it at the same time? Yeah. And get those and kids it really, to read. really <laughs> uh, draws on creativity. Oh, yes. creativity is at the core. Yes, to read. Yeah. And yeah. read. That's one yeah. of my big beats I mean, about the, screen time. Yeah. They're not reading. I, I want these kids to. And I mean, when I, on, when I remember yeah. reading Treasure Island or Heidi, I mean, all the, all the classics, Secret Garden, my favorite books when I was young, I remember one of 10 kids in being bored in the summer. We didn't go on big trips. I traveled everywhere in my imagination with books. And that love of reading is something a parent passes on to children. And it starts with reading in bed. I'm reading the Islanders to my five and six-year-old grandchildren, my grandsons who can't read a chapter book yet. But they laugh at the right places. Right. They're enjoying the read. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you do that yeah. with your children, yeah. you create children who love to read. So you've been writing lately um, about... I'm actively the hero, actively leaving your legacy. And did this did this start did this awareness start pre-COVID or you know pre-pandemic for you? Like how did this consciousness, this mindfulness about leaving a legacy and modeling for your children and grandchildren come to be in the state that it is now? I'm just that's a very hard question to answer as I'm still going through it, but I wrote this article. I I remember knowing when I wrote The Beach House 20 years ago that I was trying to, I was working with adults to try and make them bring them to my world and make them see the world as I saw it and care. Again, if you care, you take care. It wasn't until I was a grandparent and I went through everything we just discussed and the the wisdom <laughs> seeing my children, the second chance, all that that I began to be aware that I, um, I, I could make a difference in their lives, the young lives. So not I could do it professionally with a novel, but COVID had a huge impact because I didn't get to see them. We were in a war. COVID was wartime. We feared for our lives. The phrase shelter in place is actually a wartime expression do not evacuate, stay put. Mm -hmm. And we had heightened emotions, fear. Our gener my generation was more concerned about where we're going to survive this. The younger generation were more concerned about my life is at a standstill. If you're young, you didn't even get to date. So it, I think we went through this war and we're coming out of it. And we're hearing tales of how we were all affected. And as for me, I looked back and I realized my world had come to a complete stop, even though I could write. But if I was going to pass away, if I was going to die, um, what legacy am I leaving? Who am I in the memories of my family? That's, that's at the core of it. I'm not worried mm -hmm. about my, my legacy as an yeah. author. I'm done with it. I, I feel comfortable. But... You really right. only live and continue in the memories of your children and grandchildren. 
And I looked and I reflected and I wasn't spending enough time with them. I was so for- focused on the working legacy that I, I realized this has got to change. Because one thing we learned from COVID, the one big lesson, is you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, I don't know. I might have 20 years. Mm-hmm. I might have two. But right now is all I have. Mm-hmm. And so I make a conscious decision as a grandparent that I will say yes when my children ask me to visit rather than say I'm too busy. <laughs> I will take that trip. Mm-hmm. I will, when my grandchild comes, I may be under deadline, but it, I stop and I play. I play board games. We jump in the pool. We do anything we can to play because he's going to remember that. He's not going to remember how clean my house mm-hmm. was. He's not going to remember how, no, you know, how successful I was. <laughs> he's going to remember this, my smell. He's going to remember the feel of right. lying against my chest. He's going to remember laughing with me. Mm-hmm. That's the legacy I want to be, that I yeah. gave my yeah. best. And I think that is attainable by every yeah. one of us. Uh, so that is uh, beautifully said, Mary Alice, and um, so thoughtful. And you know, it, so it brings me to something you, you wrote, <laughs> which is, For me, it's simple. I wake up each morning and choose to believe that each day is a gift, to smile at the rising sun and be grateful that I'm here right now, to live fully in the present, and doing so, I have faith that, yes, I am leaving behind a legacy of love and intention for my family. What more is there to say than that? (laughs) I, it was hard-won knowledge, I'll tell you. It was, I, I think we all experienced a tough two years. You, we, I personally had family members pass from COVID. And it was, you know, Eckhart Tolle wrote about living in the here and now mm-hmm. for, for decades. And I, I intellectually understood what living in the now meant, but I didn't get it until right. I went through COVID. And mm-hmm. now I, and I feared, am I going to be here tomorrow? I think anytime one goes through a serious um, episode where one is, feels one's mortality, one, mm-hmm. one, one should start thinking about legacy and yes. what that means. Mm-hmm. And it's not how much money you're leaving behind. <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, uh, listeners, uh, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, uh, is an amazing um, and life transformational book for many. So um, just mentioning that, which Mary Alice had uh, alluded to. So you still are a writer, um, a prolific one. You've been very prolific. You have a new book out. And with all your books, you have intention and purpose. And so tell us about your latest. Uh, well, there's two latest. We just heard about your uh, middle school uh, latest. And how about the Summer of Lost and Found? Well, the Summer of Lost and Found, interestingly, is part of the Beach House series. But it was the toughest book I ever wrote because I wrote it during the pandemic and I wrote it in real time, Dan, which means I was in my house in the mountains and I was writing about a fa- this family set against the pandemic. And it was 
while I was writing this, I was chronicling this year like no other. And it, I, it forced me to really pay attention to the details. And while I was going through it, in all my novels, usually what I do, my modus operandi is I work with wildlife. So I'll work with a species and I'll work with that, say, a, a whale or a dolphin for a couple of years. And I've, I learn from the animal, from its behavior, some primary lessons about them and, and the parallel in human life. And then I, I have something I want to say in my story. But with the pandemic, it was different. Not only did I only have a year, I was writing in real time, but I had to figure out what it was I learned pretty quickly. I mean, it was pretty intense. And what I learned is, as I said, is to not to know, to not to expect life to turn out necessarily the way you planned, that you don't mm -hmm. know what tomorrow will bring to be to learn, as my grandparents would say, to zig and to zag and to enjoy the present. So that's mm -hmm. what the story of the Summer of Lost and Found about. It was the first book about set against the pandemic that came out of the gate. So I'm pretty pleased about that. But I, I do suspect people today will read that book it, as a standalone. It can be read completely on its own. And they'll be surprised at what we've already forgotten about what life mm -hmm. is like going through mm. the pandemic. It's, it's, it's it hopefully inspiring. All my mm -hmm. books, I, I hope, are somewhat inspiring because that's my goal. And um, I love how you write about, you know, the learning from nature, right? The learning from <laughs> yeah. the animals. And I think um, more and more of us are hopefully starting to turn back towards nature um, and look to it in a place where we do need to nurture it and um, protect it and ultimately save it. Well, honestly, Dan, my goal is to write popular fiction for the last 20 years that would embrace an audience that didn't even know they cared about sea turtles, for example. But they wanted a good book, a good story. And that's what I do as a fiction writer. But in this telling, they're surprised at the end of the book. Oh, my God, I learned a lot about sea turtles. And, and you know what? They're really cool. It's this, it's, I call it the painless education. It's almost the surprise. Because if mm -hmm. I bring them into my story world and they feel and they see the animals through the passion of my characters, which is my passion, they feel it too. It's all about emotion. That's the key. So mm -hmm. honestly, that's why I went into middle grade. I succeeded with children and my success is because I've reached that emotional touch with all my readers mm -hmm. who are adults, mm -hmm. but I wanted to grab the kids. They're the mm -hmm. stewards of tomorrow. And I wanted yeah. to help them feel that same excitement that I do. Honestly, when I talk to a, a group of adults, when I'm speaking large groups, and I'll talk about the plastic in the ocean. It's true. The adults, oh my gosh, it's so awful. What can we do? You speak to a bunch of eight-year-olds, and they're like, oh, let's go clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, they have the answers. Yeah. Let me in. They have such enthusiasm and such can do that that's the uh, that's what I love about these kids and this audience and why I wanted to write for them. And I do hope to inspire them to see 
get outside. Those bugs are cool. Mm-hmm. And if, if they read it as fun and not as necessary a lesson plan, yeah, they get it. They will get it mm-hmm. too. It's the power of story. It really is. Mm-hmm. Well, you've, you've already shared, um, actually many, uh, parent footprint moments throughout our conversation. And, um, of course, I want one more. So <laughs> this is the official parent footprint moment question time. So Mary Alice, tell us about a time where you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or an awareness of your parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kid's life, and those you care about. I can go right to the moment. I was, as I said, raised in the suburbs of Chicago. In a, so I, I knew cities and I knew the lake, but I was just pretty much a suburban city girl. And when I brought my children to this massive farm in Vermont, I remember hiking with the children along a, a constructed path. You know, I wouldn't have wandered off the path. And I had my three kids in tow. And we came upon a clearing with soft grass and ferns everywhere. And it was so surprising and so beautiful that I looked at my children and I saw the awe in their faces as well. And I realized at that moment that I couldn't name one tree or one plant that I was in awe of something I knew nothing about. I was as young as my children. And I felt a responsibility. That's when the parent clicked in. Not Mm. only did I as an individual want to know about this place, but I wanted my children to know. Because when you know, it becomes yours. And that's when I began with my children learning the names of the different trees and the birds and the plants. And we, and once we got to know them, we knew what to be afraid of and what not to be afraid of. It yeah. became our, this huge property became our backyard. And I guess what I'm saying is that started a change in my writing, in my career, the way I looked at the world. I don't see a bird today and not wonder if I don't know the name of it. <laughs> And I like to know my children do too. And the, and the, what that does is you are a citizen of the world then. Mm-hmm. You are part of a bigger planet. And it enhances one's life. It really does. And, yeah. And you modeled for them um, inquisitiveness, uh, learning, mm. always growing, um, it never being too late to learn more. It, that's and, it. It's not too yeah. late. No. You know what? Here's my, I say this, Dan. Nature makes children of us all. Hmm. Yes. Yes. And you know, this story also, Mary Alice, shows that uh, you have been leaving your legacy to your kids for your entire parenting journey with them. Oh, oh that makes me feel so wonderful because yeah. one is always in doubt, isn't one? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, we are constantly. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And uh, with wisdom, as we were talking about at the top of the show here, um, 
you usually you tend to get it with um, time and experience, everyone. So for those of you who are uh, just starting out on your parenting journey, um, do try to collect it as quick as you can, but also know it is actually <laughs> the journey that creates creates the wisdom. Um, yes. Mary Alice, so tell everyone where they um, can find your books. You, of course, you have your regular podcast, uh, your blogs, everything that you're doing. Well, I have a I have a, a brand new fancy web website, MaryAliceMonroe.com. I have wonderful reports. You'll keep up with all I do on Facebook, Mary Alice Monroe author page, as well as Instagram. And my books are available wherever books are sold. And there are lots of them being <laughs> sold for a good reason, everyone. Dive into this library. Um Mary Alice, thanks so much for uh, sharing with us today. I love, it was a great experience. Thank you very much. That concludes another show, everyone. Tell everyone who you think would benefit from this show. Thank you for being part of our community. We welcome other like-minded individuals. And if you want more of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, check out our bonus episodes once a month exclusively on Stitcher Premium. To listen, just go to stitcherpremium.com slash Dr. Dan, click start free trial, select a monthly plan and sign up with the code Dr. Dan, and you'll get a month of free listening. As always, try to be the person that you want your child to become as you model for them as you're leaving your legacy in real time. And as always, I'll ask you the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.